<laughs> the devil is coming to get you. <laughs> He's coming to get you. You know, why is the devil always a heat? You know, goddamn, the devil. Maybe we got some messed up shit around the devil, man. But guess what? Profane Faith is back, y'all. Come on now. Let's do this season six in full effect. And now I guess he feels a little bit emboldened. He must be careful with what he says. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, racism is essentially a white problem. For you to understand what racism is about, you're going to be so uncomfortable. As Christians, we love the homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business, you want to be successful, you want to be like Trump. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Push, 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 push. Step, step, step. Crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Here we are, here we are. Oh my goodness, here we go, here we go. Season six in full effect, y'all. Oh my gosh. Well, welcome back, y'all, here to season six. Um, profane faith. Hard to believe. Um, I guess I say this every year. I guess if you've listening to this um in uh you know in not real time and and looking at this asynchronously uh it might just be the end of season five and you're going right into season six and it's just like i don't know what we're missing but at this point the show has been on now for four years at the time i'm recording this it's uh the year of our lord in 2021 and um yeah man it, uh, it's uh it's kind of a trip it's kind of a trip to think um that profane faith has been on. I, I think all of you is is listeners, man, and 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 folks who have sent in just emails and the thank yous and the direct messages. Uh, I have appreciated that, and um, it's been well received. And I'm kind of surprised at myself, you know, uh, for this thing, you know, going on as long uh, as it has. Um, I. Originally started Profane Faith, uh, as I've explained many times on the show before. But if this is if you, this is new to you, thank you for joining, um, and uh, thank you for you know tuning in, as they say. Uh, I originally started this, you know, of course in the Trump era, um, really in the middle of the Trump era, and uh, really a space and place to you know deal with all things religion, faith race uh aspects of hip-hop um and just have a space for you know poc centered um environment and uh it's been amazing it's been really a good therapeutic place for me too because you know i love uh you know interviewing guests and uh you know uh talking and engaging and but also i love the editing part and kind of all the behind the scenes stuff um, for those of you who don't know, again, you know, I self-host and, you know, do everything behind the scenes on my website and, um, 
you know, uh, it, it's, it's so it's been great. It's been great. It's been great. And and hey, what about that the, the new theme song? Right? Look at that. Switching it up after five seasons, I figured it was time to, uh, you know, get a uh, you know get some music that I have created, man. What what, what y'all what y'all think about that beat? That beat's dope, ain't it? Come on now. Uh, that's another thing. When I first started, uh, I was using music uh, that you know that I was like license free and. Um, you know, that it was, uh, well, not even license free, but just had kind of co common, common usage. And, um, you know, cause at the time I, you know, has still hadn't stepped back into production and music production and, um, yeah, I, I need, you know, I needed a theme song. And so, you know, as I was putting my stuff together, one of the websites I was looking at that, you know, kind of guided me through the process of putting a podcast together, um, gave some recommendations on places you could find basically you know royalty free music you know music that you don't have to pay an arm and a leg you know to use and so that's been the theme song um that i've liked i've enjoyed it uh you know over the last you know four years but i figured you know what i think it's i think it's time for a change i think it's time for a little change um you know talk to some folks you know who are hardcore fans of the show who kind of know me inside and out and i was like what y'all think about this track um just something i should do and everyone was like yes absolutely do that that'll be great so i hope y'all enjoying that track that, that that beat right there is homemade beat right here uh at uh, white high studios here in uh, the great chicago land of illy and noy um so yeah that's that's it man you know what i'm saying almost like you know you, you almost think your boy's gonna start rapping up in that mofo uh, <laughs> right man that's some, that's some dope shit right there so that's the new theme song hopefully that is agreeable with you um but yeah now i can say all the music on profane faith uh is 100 produced by me um and put out by me um and i know some of you have asked you know where you can find some of my music i am working on that i'm currently working on that i don't have a space yet i need to do that um i got hundreds of tracks literally and uh i i need, I need to get them out there i need to put them out there um, I think I'm kind of like Marty McFly, right? In Back to the Future, when you know, uh, you know, his girlfriend at the time was like, "Oh, you got to send this into the record companies." He's like, "Oh man, but what if they reject it? And what if they say no? And it doesn't sound good, right? You know, I don't know if I could take that kind of rejection, right? I don't know if y'all remember that. If you've even seen Back to the Future, but um, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, it's like the Erica Badu set. You know, said, you know, she's like, you know, I'm an artist and you know, sensitive about my shit. So um, yeah, it's just been one of those things, and I need to just need to just get it out there and just put it into the world um because you know if you've ever been to my place you know i got a whole studio set up and uh you know i could easily record 22 tracks simultaneously but nevertheless um it's just kind of just been sitting on a hard drive so um and you know some of it has been on the show um you know uh i think all the music from the past two seasons at least um has been you know my own music so um yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it, right? Um, but anyways, that's just some background. I'm glad to be back up. Um, I didn't do a lot of promotion this year, just for oh, season six is coming. I don't know. I kind of been down, boohoo, and like the whole social media thing. And so, um, you know, just here. And if you're subscribed, obviously this just showed up in your feed. And um, yeah, now you're listening, hopefully, <laughs> or maybe you're listening because of the great guests that I have on today. Uh, either way, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, but yeah, you know, drop a like, drop a, you know, subscribe as the YouTubers say. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, if you if you if you like this, pass this on, you know, the, the currency of of podcasting is uh, subscriptions and people, you know, signing in. So, you know, if you dig in it, 
check it out subscribe it'd be great um you know and drop me a line sometime um you know that'd be great uh you know and you know still banned off of twitter you know still still that's still happening right still going strong from june 20th of 2020 right so still off on that um and it's kind of no more of 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 a of a thing for me because i'm like i'm not going to get a burner account i'm i'm not going to get a a third account i'm not going to rebuild so i'm just kind of like you know what fuck it you know it's it's done uh so yeah my own if so if you've been trying to reach me on my personal twitter feed just email me just go to my website i or, or try me through profane faith that account is thankfully still up um but anyway i can break some more of this stuff down um i you know, i've been teaching a class on social media friends and family and we talk a lot about just kind of the algorithms and really how after 2016 a lot so much of this crap that was supposed to be protection for people of color or you know trying to you know get rid of misinformation has really turned itself against pocs uh and you know the amount of folks that are just getting booty um you know you, you know you're banned or you're you know you get into twitter jail or you get into facebook jail you know where they kick you off or they you delete a post because it didn't fit some you know damn thing that they didn't like I'm just like, you know what? This is this is ridiculous. So, anyways, that's just my own personal things, not the gospel. Y'all do you. Um, you know, some some of y'all have some amazing platforms. So I'd say, you know, keep keep building them. That's that's great. And I don't know, I think for me too, I'm just kind of like, you know, um, I don't know if I want that much attention. I, you know, I see the amount of crap uh that happens on social media spaces, you know, people death threats and all that crap. So I'm just kind of like, you know what, I don't I don't want to have to deal with any of that. Um the other side of it too uh is you know just you know it, it not necessarily even knowing you know just how you know what what is the next stage of development and growth you know for a podcast or you know as a media content creator um out there so i rely on fans i rely on folks who you know mouth to mouth who say hey uh, this is something that is great check it out take a listen um you should be listening to this and so that's kind of you know it's kind of where i'm at kind of real grassrootsy type of stuff right um so anyways that's that still on uh still still on the professor watch list so in case any haters are listening um definitely still on that and you know i said what the hell i said so if you listening um you've got nothing better to do and you're quite the loser listening to my show right now just to get ammunition bravo hats off to you for being that level of a loser uh and that much uh of a little suck a chump ass um but you know you're here you know you're listening and uh you know what what better things you know go on and write some more stuff right um out there i bet you don't even like critical race theory you probably don't even know what uh the, who the first uh two theorists are of critical race theory right <laughs> been listening too much to uh ben shapiro right oh my gosh but at any rate um happy to be back um i have an amazing guest on this week um i first heard uh dr megan goodwin uh, on another podcast another great podcast straight white american jesus if you haven't uh subscribed to that um i highly recommend doing that um i think it's bradley onishi and daniel miller uh run it um but it's a great podcast and i heard dr megan goodwin on there talking about the satanic panic uh and this is an area that i've i've wanted to actually touch on uh, for a long time actually i've actually been looking for somebody actually involved um in you know the satanic church and to, you know to talk with them um and, you know and especially with so much 
that has been built up around the culture of the devil, right? Um, and uh, I think, particularly with Dr. Goodwin's work, it, it it's great because it dispels so much of the myth literally the panic around right satanism the idea and notion of the devil the idea and notion of what the devil represents right kind of demons and spirits and and you know kind of out there so again i wanted to to explore that um a little bit more and i've been wanting to kind of engage you with that you know especially you know looking up and and thinking now you know evangelicalism particularly especially white evangelicalism was wrong about so many things um you know let's let's look at some of these kind of taboo subjects and and areas um and i figured what better way than to talk with a scholar who is doing their work around this um than you know megan goodwin and i was like i reached out she responded i was like perfect this is great um just got back from aar this year uh her and i were on a panel together and um it was just great so i was like this is this is perfect timing um and you know i'm going to continue conversations like this going forward uh because there is a lot of stuff around just the idea and notion the social construct of the devil um there's a lot around that you know how we look at that how we think about spirits how we think about the supernatural um you know because it's it's one thing right when people say oh i'm not going to get my cards read or i'm not going to go to a psychic but they'll go quickly to a prophet right they'll go quickly to somebody um at a church place that can you know tell them can prophesy over them you know it's like well then what's the difference right what's the difference in these things how do we then understand if we think about the holy ghost right as a ghost this uh, disembodied entity that can speak to us in our conscience right is it an ai is it uh, you know a higher form of uh, artificial intelligence uh something technology right that can speak to our consciousness is it just us is there a social construct around the devil right is the devil something that humans have created uh kind of a a scapegoat if you will um to not see the true evil right that resides within us um you know i've looked at that right as a scholar i think you have to kind of begin to look at some of these things and see what are the social constructs what are the myths around right demons now i'll be the first to say i do believe in the supernatural i do believe uh in spirits i think there is something after death um you know what it is i i don't, I don't know i ain't been dead you know uh long enough to and then come back to life uh to kind of you know to be back come back and tell you um but this is something that i think i want to you know kind of focus in on you know this this uh this season in looking at what does death what does life look like? What does consciousness mean? Um, you know, if, if the universe truly recycles material and, 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 and even the slightest imbalance, right, of atoms and molecular, you know, material would throw off the universe, what happens then to that consciousness? What happens? You know, some people say, you know, you just pass on to the next, right? That's what we talk about kind of, kind of you know, in our kind of framework and our imagination, right, that we pass on. That's the language that we use, you know, that person passed. Um, you know and how do we think about ancestry um you know what what does it really mean you know in, you know one demon translates just literally into spirit um so I'm, I'm curious what that looks like and i get that that's scary for a lot of people it's been scary for me it's one of the reasons why i don't do a lot of horror i'm trying to get back into horror like smart horror not necessarily the jump scare stuff but 
you know, I mean, it because right, because it was like, yeah, I was told, you know, you let these spirits into your house, you know, they're going to stay there and they go, right? It's like you told that story that, that Jesus tells about the demon that leaves, uh, you know, somebody's house, uh, but then just wandering. It's like, wait, well, I'm going to come back to that house because it was nice and clean and everything. So it's like, you know, that's always related back to, you know, kind of possession. And, you know, I and mean, what do we do and how do we understand possession? How is that even socially constructed as well? Dr. Goodwin's going to go into that as well. Um, so I am, I'm very curious and I'm also aware and conscious of what it, what, what, what we have labeled as demonic, all right? What we've labeled as satanic, um, especially stuff that we don't care for and we don't like, right? Um, it's like, you know, people have said Islam is satanic. People have said hip hop is satanic, right? People have said movies. If you were around during the 80s, right? You know, there was this kind of whole thing against, you know, the film industry and how bad and corrupt it was. People have said, you know, illicit sexuality is, is, is satanic, right? That there is a spirit within there. So all these things, again, so much of it is created out of fear. And as you'll hear here soon from Dr. Goodwin, she gonna break it down, right? So much of it uh, was based off of mythology, was based off of one or two things that really didn't even add up. Um, and it just blew up because it's easy to blow up, right? It's easy to blow up. It's easy to call something evil and people want to believe it, right? It's easy to believe in the Amityville story, um, you know, and that there's demons and devils. And 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 notice how so oftentimes this is, you know, um, racialized. Think about that for a minute, right? It's like even thinking about Amityville. Let's use that as a as an example, right? It's like the, the notion that this house was built over ancient Native American burial grounds, right? There was a well in the house, and that's where they put all the dead bodies, right? So automatically going into how demonized right native american religion and 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 mysticism right is just demonized that's that's demonic if it doesn't fall into a puritan evangelical white eurocentric modality it is evil right think about how we think about um well, think about folks like in New Orleans, right? When we think about voodoo, uh, that's racialized, right? That's looked at as very evil, very wrong, um, you know, to do. Um, you know, when, when you, when, when you again, when you start to think about just how, um, even again, going back to uh, The Exorcist, you know, it's like you have a woman dealing with stuff she doesn't understand. It's it's ancient. It's uh, racialized, right? You know, these these folks out here, these Africans and, and Indians, they don't know what the hell they're doing. They're worshiping all these different gods. And we, the Europeans, right, and, you know, centralized around the Catholic Church, you know, we understand. We know what is best. We know how to handle these things. And we're going to come through and deal with this. Um, I I think that's what gets me oftentimes you know with that um and you know it's also when you when you start to think about that too it's also uh you know gendered as well um you know especially when you start thinking about sex and just how that's used as well and i'm not denying that there isn't evil beyond what we can see um i think uh you know i think we take the whole notion of dealing with and wrestling with, you know, you know, the we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? Um, I think we take that a little bit too far 
and turning everything right that doesn't fit into a preconceived notion a preconceived imaginary imagination um of what we deem as good is what we deem as evil if that doesn't fit into that then it's automatically evil right um and think about how much of our own ancestry especially if you're you know pocs said you know particularly latinx african religion how that has been demonized and turned against us don't worship this you know instead worship white jesus right worship you know this this god that we have created for you we know what's best uh we know what's what's good for you um that's you know the height of supremacy right the height of white supremacy so um so yeah those are those are some areas that i kind of want to more get into and uh, uh dr goodwin was a great person to uh kick this off with and get us going and get us thinking about you know what this means and ultimately uh not even necessarily what this means i don't think we're necessarily like i said in the opening we're not going for answers we're going for deeper and better questions and i think that's part of it uh with the understanding of and 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 gaining some better knowledge some new knowledge around what we think of as the devil when was the devil constructed how was the devil constructed when we think about that how do other cultures view the devil Right, this notion of the devil with the horns—that's you know—that's a social imagination. Think about Dante's Hell and Inferno. That's a social imagination. We think about hell being a physical place. That's also part of the social imagination. We think about hell being under the earth, you know, and being tormented and all these things. Again, I mean, somebody can be living here right now, alive and being tormented because they have a mental health imbalance they haven't gotten medication they haven't dealt with that right i worked at a a place that dealt with folks who you know engaged in um not engaged with that's a wrong uh word but they uh they had mental health issues around bipolarism and schizophrenia you know they go off their medication and they it, they were tormented <laughs> they were tormented um right and you know i mean again these things it's it's very easy right to see things through a different lens if we don't understand it rather than taking the time to understand it it's just be like oh man that's that's evil that's wrong you know and so what then do we say to then we think about right kind of this all embodied evil person like a hitler right you know i know some people say oh saddam hussein you know some of these dictators like where does that evil come from is that just buried underneath them? And why does it, why do leaders like that rise to power? How do they gain all the access? If we're so enlightened, if we're so like, oh yes, do we have an innate, um, you know, just a realization or, or desire to be ruled over? And, uh, and you know, I, I don't know, I don't know. Those are, the, those are again, some areas and some questions that I think we got to engage with. So I'm excited to bring uh, my guest on this week, Dr. Megan Goodwin, uh, visiting lecturer of religion, program director of Sacred Rights. Uh, she's a scholar of gender, race, sexuality, politics, and American religions. She's the author of Abusing Religion, Literary Persecution, Sex Scandals, and American Minority Religions. This is with the Rutgers, came out in 2020. Uh, it's a great read. Uh, with Elise Morgenstein first, she co-hosts another podcast, another great podcast called Keeping It 101, a kill joy's introduction to religion um i'll put all these in the show notes please go check out her books check out uh keeping it 101 podcast as along with straight white american jesus podcast again i'll put these in the show notes um 
Uh, she's also good. Dr. Goodwin is also the co-chair of the American Academy of Religions Teaching Against Islamophobia Program Unit. Uh, her next book is tentatively titled, and I got to get her back on for this, Cults Incorporated. Um, I'm excited to have her on the show uh, to just talk about her own process and understanding, again, the satanic panic, um, how that's come into play, uh, and how we begin to see some of these things through a social construct lens. Cool? All right, fam, here we go. Season six is full effect. Glad you're with us. Check out this conversation. All right, folks. Well, welcome back to yet another great episode of Profane Faith. I have with me in a great guest that I actually heard on another podcast, uh, Straight Up American White Jesus, I believe. Is that, is, is that what it's called? Straight Up American Jesus, yes, with Bradley Onishi. There we go. Yes. I'll put the links in the show notes to their show. Amazing. Um, Dr. Megan Goodwin is doing amazing work. Uh, I was hooked from the beginning of that podcast and I was like, I have got to get the good doctor on the show. So, Doc, welcome to Profane Faith. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, my gosh. There's so much to hop into. I loved your breakdown of just the satanic panic. I want to get into that. Mm. But the question that I ask everybody is what has okay. been, what has gotten you to where you're at now? What has been happening from birth to now? <laughs> I mean, if, if I'm being really honest, yeah. I think it's Catholicism and rage. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> driving, driving forces. So yeah, I was raised by, you know, a, a passel of Philly Catholics I did 13 years of Catholic school, K through 12, and I don't think I really knew non-Catholics until I went to college. Um, and while I was going through all that Catholic education in like <laughs> this parochial school, but also like my aunt was a sister of mercy, it, it just, there's no space outside Catholicism in Philly. Uh, I was also, I think, uh, at the very beginning of realizing I was queer, definitely smack in the middle of realizing I had a lot of questions about how this religion thing worked. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, can't, I cannot speak for all Catholic archdiocese having only grown up in the one, but the archdiocese of Philadelphia is not a, a space that encouraged young uh, women particularly to ask questions about why the institution ran the way that it did. Uh, or why doctrine worked the way that it did. So I got to college, thought I was going to study something practical, i.e. print journalism. All <laughs> um, right. Yeah, well, and then my sophomore year, the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky debacle happened, and I realized oh, wow. that the press was not a space that felt right for me. Mm. Um, and just started taking a bunch of religious studies classes at BU, which to this day has a fantastic religion department. And I got hooked. So mm, here I, I am just yelling about ooh, the folks who get left out of religion, yeah. folks who get told they do religion wrong and just the, the way that we use that, not to be too on the nose with the Catholic thing, but that, that ruler as a cudgel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I mean, and I think, you know, when we think about, you know, who's in, who's out, I mean, I think mm -hmm. growing up, um, I grew up in a black Seventh-day Adventist uh, context. And so it was definitely clear boundaries of who was in, mm -hmm. who was not. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that that has stuck with me for so long. And it's been very difficult to deconstruct. 
mm. what that what that means, right? It's like, well, who's saved? Who's not saved? Have you backslidden? Mm. You backslid, didn't you? You, you. And so, I mean, and I'd be, you know, curious, like, how how do you like look at faith and theology, spirituality, you know, in the current moment we find ourselves in here in 2021? Oh, personally or professionally? I'm going to say I, both. <laughs> okay. I mean, as uh, I think it is a, a fascinating, frustrating, big old mess. I mean, mm -hmm. I am somebody who is in the academy, however, uh, liminally, as uh, someone who works on religious outsiders, being a religious outsider myself, because definitely we were talking about the AAR, definitely trying to be a witch at the AAR. That's a fun space. I love it. All <laughs> right. Well, well, particularly when they were scheduling the annual meeting on October 31st. So I'm at work. And also there were a couple of times where we wound up having like a huge ritual at AAR because uh, Samhain's the biggest holiday of the year or one of the biggest holidays for a lot of pagans. Um, so that was a funky space to be in. It's a funky space to be studying American religions at this moment where there's so much calling for accountability mm -hmm. of really paying meaningful attention and making or allowing, I should say, meaningful space for marginalized identities. But those are also by and large, not the folks that we see getting the jobs, right? So, so much of the, the agitation in the field is having, happening from the outside. Um, and then looking at, you know, religion in this country right now and what's now the United States, we're seeing these increased clamors for religious freedom, but it's for religious freedom for the folks who already enjoy more religious freedom than any other humans who have ever walked the earth. Uh, so watching that principle that in its pure state, I believe so deeply in be deployed to shore up the already unimaginable rights of conservative white Christian yeah. straight folks is just, yeah, it is, it is an interesting and infuriating time to be trying to think about religion. Whew. Like you said a mouthful on that one. That is, uh, <laughs> that is the truth. I, it's always, it, you know, it's always mind boggling that, you know, some of the same folks that say, you know, Hey, I want freedom to not take mm -hmm. the vaccine and not, mm -hmm. um, you know, my body, my choice. Right. 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 <laughs> We'll then turn around and celebrate a state like Texas um, and the mm -hmm. madness that is mm -hmm. that place. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll also turn around and and write in in restrict voting access and yep. that stuff drives me to no ends. Just batshit crazy. Um, yeah, as, as I think it should drive us all. And the space—it's really the hypocrisy, yes. right? Where, or I suppose they don't experience it as hypocrisy. It's it's saying the quiet parts out loud. Because when you're saying religious freedom means that we can restrict abortion, you're ignoring the religious freedom of Muslims and Jews and any number of other religious traditions that make space for reproductive justice. You just mean a very specific kind of white Christian conservative religious freedom. Right. And that, yeah, I, I think it should make all of us batshit. 
If you are not batshit, I don't think you're paying attention. Which sounds nice. It sounds restful. Yes, <laughs> right. You, I guess. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, walk us through a little bit because I think one of the things that you know gets the undies in a bunch on on the mm. right is this <laughs> is this notion of the devil. You know, I, I fashioned so. that you know off the Seinfeld show where it's like we're the devils. You know, it's like. <laughs> Um, I grew up with a strong sense that, you know, anything related to Satan, it was mm -hmm. just bad. And that there was a sense of uh, moral failure on a part of Hollywood because they're allowing this satanic influence to come in. There was mm -hmm. even a guy a few years back um, who, yeah, I most a lot of my studies is looking at hip hop and religion and mm -hmm. hip hop and theology. Uh, this guy, uh, G. Craig Lewis, was, you know, went as far as to say that all of hip hop is demonic and created in the image of Satan and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. So what what got this thing started and kicked off? Like what? Where did where did the right get their bundies in an unch uh, in a bunch? In <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in an unch. <laughs> um, in regards to the devil, I mean, and yeah, and, and yeah, let's 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 get into this. Okay. I mean, I should I should not start talking hip hop at you at all because I cannot hold my own. But I'm immediately struck by like Kendrick Lamar's conversations Come on. with Lucy. Right. Come on. Through Come on. So, mm, but I, I, again, I, I don't know enough to actually hold on to that. But I will say America for as long as it's been America and quite some time before has always been obsessed with Satan. Hmm. Uh, I, I teach a witches class at Northeastern where we look at the Salem witch trials and the way that science and religion and medicine all converge to make witchcraft plausible and the devil a material actor in the world. Hmm. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's 1692. Uh, wow. So I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to, from the beginning of time, Satan, but also from before there was a United States, there has been real anxiety about a, a, a material actor mm -hmm. that is evil uh, in the world. And at the same time, the, the way that we see Satan as an actor on like the American religious political, political stage right now. I would want to trace to this moment in the late 20th century where you see a convergence, a confederacy, if you will, okay. of mostly but not exclusively white conservative Christians, including Catholics and, and a couple Jews, um, come together and become what we now think of as the new Christian right. Okay. Where the articulation of values is this, not that this is a Christian value, but that this is an American value. Mm. Obviously, what's being understood as American values is being derived directly from Christian. And I have argued Catholic sexual morality uh, in really important ways. Ooh. But it's it's not being articulated in religious terms. It's being articulated in this nationalist language mm -hmm. that's effective on a national stage for the first time in American history. And so it's also converging on this... Uh, apocalyptic mindset and worldview we see emerging in the 1970s. Yes. That then really consolidates to my mind as the satanic panic, which really gets started in the early 1980s. And Satan has been, <laughs> Satan I think has been politically with us ever since. Uh, <laughs> yes. We, I mean, there's, there's a morphing and there's a, a lack of national mainstream attention to it, but that narrative of Satan and the forces of Satan being at work in the world um, and through popular media, especially, uh, 
yeah, has, has stuck with us and we're seeing it pop up again in narratives around QAnon. So. Oof. Oof. Well, and I think what's interesting is as I was looking at your work and just looking at some of these things, I mean, because this was like on Donahue, this was on mm-hmm. Oprah, this was, mm-hmm. you know, about how and even going back to like groups like Kiss and Black Sabbath. Yes. And yeah, yeah, I went to Catholic school. So Kiss was kids in Satan's <laughs> service. It was very, yes. very edgy. <laughs> yes. Kids so disappointed <laughs> when I went to my first Ozzy concert and realized he was singing about like war is bad and we should save the earth. Like, right. what kind of Satanism is this? Right, right, right. What, and tell, tell me about that. What is the connection then with, because we hear this a lot, whether it's rock mm-hmm. and roll. Now, of course, oh, yeah. people want to help on hip hop. I'm now starting to see some stuff about, I mean, it was a horrible tragedy with what happened, you know, with Travis Scott and Astro oh, World. I mean, what a mess. Horrible. But now you're starting to hear, right, well, this, see, this is the devil and God's trying to redeem that and trying to wake people up. So I'm like, it okay. It is the devil. It's capitalism. <laughs> see what happens right right so what is it about music especially you know when you think about your popular culture that just riles people up and then on the other side of it um i'd love to know your thoughts on the believability of it like you can get one person saying if you and if you could touch on that like you get one or two people saying this stuff the devil did this and all of a sudden you have a whole nation around like Mm -hmm, oh my mm -hmm. gosh the devil is creating these devil dolls (laughs) dungeons and (laughs) dragons right oh another massive disappointment dungeons and dragons say more about mountain dew and like cheese puffs than it was about summoning demons at all again imagine my disappointment right Uh, (laughs) i i let me let me answer those in reverse order so the believability piece i think i'm of two minds of Mm. i think there are spaces in which like satanic influence is a compelling and logical worldview, particularly if you grow up in these religious spaces where like, yeah, the devil absolutely works on people and in the world. So yes, that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. In my work, I'm honestly more interested in the folks who you can't really say whether or not they believe it, but they're willing to use it, mm. right? So, and I'm thinking in the context of the satanic panic, I'm thinking of people like Gloria Steinem and Ms. Magazine. Yes. Do I know whether or not Gloria Steinem actually thought that Satan was working through daycare workers or whatever? I do not. What I do know is that she was one of, she was a significant funder of the Believe the Children. She, through Ms. Magazine, ran a cover story about ritual abuse two to three years after the FBI came out and said, look, we we have no evidence that this is happening. And I am both frustrated from a journalistic perspective of like, this is, this is bad journalism. You don't have evidence of this. So how are we running it? But also I am sympathetic as someone who works on abuse because mm. the rhetoric of satanic ritual abuse grabbed national attention for the issue, the rampant pressing, ongoing, horrifying issue of child sexual abuse in a way that nothing else had. Mm. So the the Americans really start paying attention to child abuse in the 1960s, but really only as kind of a domestic violence, like child beating issue. In the 1970s, there's a huge uptick in awareness of child sexual abuse, but the movements being driven by mostly white feminists are the ones that are getting the the media attention and they're mostly focusing on 
incest and violence that happens within the home, which we know is far and away the most common space that child sexual abuse happens. Mm. And they really don't make very much traction in terms of getting folks to pay attention to it. But when we shift the blame outside the house, when the perpetrator is not your dad or your uncle or a beloved community member, but someone who works for Satan, it becomes an acceptable narrative. Why wouldn't we be upset about that? Mm -hmm. And so the, the like blame shifting away from intimate violence toward this kind of monolithic evil actor makes it possible to talk about this problem. And so, yeah, I, I am troubled by, but I also understand why feminist activists around child sexual violence would use this narrative to keep drawing attention even after the verifiability of it had been shaken a little bit. And I think, again, we see something similar with the, the QAnon actors. I think there are way more conservative folks in our legislative bodies that are willing to use like Q symbology to motivate their uh, bases than actually believe whatever it means to believe in Q. Uh, mm. I, I, I really want to pay attention to where these mindsets and these explanatory frameworks get used as a tool to compel action or to shape the world in the way that people want to see it shaped. Um, so belief is important, I think, mm -hmm. but the the use of that belief or the use of that narrative, regardless of whether or not you believe in it, uh, is the space I really want to sit in. And this is a, this is coming out again of work that I've done with my classes because we talk all the time in my my witches class, for example, about the way that people will say they believe one thing and then act a different way. Yeah. So we get lots of folks in like uh, Romberg's Amazing Witchcraft and Welfare has a ton of examples of folks saying, well, you know, I don't believe in brujeria, but also I don't fuck with a bruja. Um, <laughs> so the spaces in between like our belief and our actions is, is where I want to sit and think. Um, and now I've forgotten what your first piece was. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, no, no, this is, this is good. No, I, I love this because I think... Um, there's 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 such a you know and i think this is part of what i what keeps me connected to like scholarship and just in mm -hmm. research is that oftentimes what we see is this one thing it's this major problem right as soon as you start to dig a little bit you start to see just that it's the it's it's how someone spins the media right it's like kind of mm -hmm. how folks have gotten all up in 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 in, in a slurry about critical race theory right it's like uh. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. I just, I had, yes. I had coffee with my dad's friend over the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a dude who like, he's smart, but didn't do like grad school and is, he's like a, a liberal dude who lives in, in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a liberal white dude who lives in Philadelphia, which uh, has not been my experience with most of the white dudes I know from Philadelphia. So he's asking genuine questions. And he's like, can I just ask you like, what's up with this critical race theory thing? And I was like, I swear to God, Bob, no one is teaching your kindergarten, like <laughs> grandchild critical race theory. It's like telling them that they're teaching like Butlerian theories of performativity because you let kids play with dolls. Like it's just... Right. They're mad about history and economics. Like you just, I'm mean, like, I'm, I'm obviously not telling you anything you don't know, but it's staggering to me that the, the conversation has become this like, oh no, you're being indoctrinated right. into knowing something about American history. Like we're not, I, uh, anyway. No, 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 you, you said it. <laughs> you had had the question I, I have remembered now about like, what is it about the popular media piece of this? Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think it's, 
I think it's a really important one um, that again has has at least two sides because from the American Academy perspective, particularly in religious studies, it's still a struggle to get serious presses to want to talk about popular culture. And it was one of the reasons that I was so delighted to work with um, Elizabeth Maselli at Rutgers is because she was really excited about my case studies. And all of my case studies are these crap airport books, right? Like it's it's not without my daughter. It's <laughs> Under the Banner of Heaven. And this Michelle Remembers book that most people don't remember anymore, but was hugely influential at the time. These are things that like my mom reads. They're things that book clubs read. And we need to pay attention to them in the academy because this is where people learn about religion. Like, sorry, yes. but that's that's true. Yes. Like you read a Not Without My Daughter, you read an Under the Banner of Heaven, and you think you know something about a minority religion. You think you know something about Mormons and Mormon fundamentalists because John Krakauer, curse him and crush him, is a very good writer. He's just a yeah. very bad theorist of religion. And so you walk away from this book or you walk, God forbid, you walk away from Betty Mahmoudi's Not Without My Daughter thinking you know something about Islam when you actually know less than you did when you started. <laughs> but people read these books, they watch these fucking movies because Oprah won't stop. I forgot about asking about cursing on your podcast. But no, oh, curse. Go away. It's profane faith. Come on, Dr. Goodwin. Come on. Shit. Goddamn. Well, thank you, Dr. Hodge. Uh, <laughs> but they read these fucking books. Oprah won't stop running this freaking movie that's Not Without My Daughter because yeah. again, yeah. Like white feminists of a specific age really love this. And I'm not saying that survivor stories of domestic violence aren't important. I just think that we could both tell those and not demonize yeah. a billion people at the same time. So, and I, I think the music piece is, is, I mean, you would be in a better position to comment on this than I would. Um, but I'm thinking about the way that music enters our home and our consciousness in these, not unconscious, but we're not always aware of the full effect on us while we're listening. Or I, I know there's always parental anxiety about your kids are gonna pick up uh, <laughs> the wrong CDs. I'm, I'm thinking of my internet friend, Dr. Yeah. Solomon Missouri talking about like sneaking out to get secular records when he's only supposed to be buying the Baptist ones. Um, <laughs> right. We're, we, we know that music does more to us than it says. And mm -hmm. so how could we not, if we are worried that those those forces are aligned with the demonic. How could we not be worried about the subtle and persistent influences that get into our brains? But from like a scholarly perspective, I, I would really love for us to sit and think about like, where are the spaces we assume, we assume are not religious, where we see religion theorized and made, right? Mm. So where do we see conversations happen about how we can be in the world, how religion should look in the world, happening in these spaces that we think are not religious, like, I don't know, Congress or uh, I, uh, massive content warnings for the existence of a disgusting sexual predator. But like, I'm thinking about Marilyn Manson's shit in the 90s, which like, right. I'll be honest, again, I went to Catholic school. I was really into it uh, as like an elaborate trolling, as uh, a way to think about the Church of Satan. Um, that was really interesting to me. And watching not just conservative Christians, but moms in general, American yeah. families in general, freak out about what kind of music should be allowed. Not just like what my kids should listen to, but what should be allowed to exist is a really interesting space of, I think, adjudication around religion and pop culture. 
and now he's fucking doing services with Bieber. So I don't know. The end times are clearly at hand and <laughs> right. everybody else is probably right anyway. Oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. Why? Well, and, and I love that. Thank you for that. Because I think mm-hmm. there's, there's an interesting connection between religion and popular culture mm-hmm. um, that I find both fascinating and infuriating at the same time. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had this before, but it's like I've spoken at conferences. Like there was one that I spoke at that I had no idea that Right Way was, you know, funding it. Oh. And uh, they were, well, they were upset that women were up front. And then they were upset that I was <laughs> showing a rated R movie uh, from up front. What? Well, <laughs> I, and, you know, and this this understanding then of, of witches, because I think the further I get into understanding just religion in all forms, not just mm-hmm. the Judeo-Christian perspective, but how do folks interpret the phenomenon of the afterlife? How do we look mm-hmm. at mediums? How do we look at those who say they can talk to folks, right, you know, in the mm-hmm. spirit world, Um I'm part Mexican, so I, it's like I grew up around Dia de los Muertos, right? You know, mm. so and so it's like there was this essence of that. Now, my grandmother grew up, you know, she was Mexican. She grew up Catholic, switched over to Seventh-day Adventist. And it was interesting just to see her, her progress, if you will, just her change to go from, you know, celebrating something like Dia de los Muertos mm-hmm. to all of a sudden be like, no, that's demonic. Yeah. That's satanic. We don't worship the dead. We ain't doing none of this. Um... How do you navigate some of these these areas or, or questions, you know, in and around? But that's evil. Like, I think of time bandits. I don't know if you're... Uh, uh, I just uh, used that in class. I oh, love time bandits. Oh, Harry Gilliam, it turns out, is kind of a shit. But that movie is yes. perfect. Yes. Okay, you are big as nerd as me. Okay, so this is great. I love <laughs> that. I read a whole paper on exegeting time bandits. But anyway, that's... that's oh, my goodness. Another- <laughs> okay, if you haven't read it, though, you really need to read the Shelley Duvall interview where she talks about the fact that Terry Gilliam uh, was worried about the little folks in the movie injuring themselves. So he volunteered to crash the the uh, roof of the carriage and landed on Shelley Duvall. He is an adult, like a giant adult man who landed what? on Shelley Duvall in that shot where the they crashed through the, the yeah. carriage. Uh-huh. Roof. <laughs> You're going to have to cut this out because it's super nerdy. Uh, but no, so Terry Gilliam is actually crashing through the carriage roof. He landed on, on Shelley Duvall and permanently injured her. Oh my I, gosh. I mean, this is before all his Me Too bullshit. Anyway, he's right. That movie's great, though. Go ahead. Right. No, 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 no. It's well, and I, I referenced that because I, I, I love that movie for so many reasons. But at the end, mm-hmm. right, it's like you know the kid is telling the parents like, "Mom, Dad, mm-hmm. don't touch it. <laughs> it's evil." <laughs> and they just go on and touch it. So yep. I mean, how do you navigate some of these you know those conversations and, um, you know, in class and whatnot, or just in professional life? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Well, and it, it depends on the context too, right? Because yeah. this conversation was very different when I was teaching at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill than when I'm doing it at Northeastern, where I think I I never had to make an argument for the pertinence of religion when I'm teaching in North Carolina. Like the, the students come in and they have bought in. Whereas uh, if we're talking about the stuff in my Northeastern classrooms, the, the first couple of weeks is all about convincing them that religion still shapes the world around them, even if they themselves are not religious. And I think this is applicable to the the evil piece as well. The whether or not you believe this, there are folks who are acting as though this is true and they they shape what kind of healthcare you can access. Mm. They they shape how even your calendar works. Yeah. And if you're not aware of that, then you're missing the full nuances of of what it is to move in the world. It's, yeah, 
I'm glad that you brought up that piece about speaking with the dead too, because I think the perception of that as evil mm-hmm. is so bound up in white European Christian imperialism, right? Mm. So the identification of something as <laughs> got a whole podcast season going, <laughs> going right now. <laughs> Keeping it one on one, I killed Joe's introduction to religion, which I co-host with Elise Morgenstein first. But so right. the, the yeah the the space where the idea of like Dia de los Muertos, or I'm thinking of um, my colleague Loranda Medical Bryant's work about talking to the dead among um, Gullah Geechee women. Mm. Like, this is a space, it's a beautiful practice of maintaining relationship and conversation with beloved ancestors and community members. And the coding of that as like witchy or as bruja or as evil absolutely comes from an outside white Christian imperialist lens, right? Where any interaction with the dead that happens outside the church must be evil, must be bad, must be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, you, you brought up uh, Mexico on the, the day of the dead and it's interesting to watch the way that those relationships get navigated even within the Catholic church where those practices are stro- so strong that even white Christian imperialism could not stamp it out. Like uh, the relationship to the dead is so strong that that has just become what Mexican Catholicism is. I'm also thinking of like uh, trans Catholic reverence for Santa Muerte, mm-hmm. right? Where <laughs> the magisterium has very kindly asked queer and trans people to stop working with Santa Muerte. She's not an acceptable saint. And they're like, <laughs> nope, she loves us. <laughs> she's, she's our friend now. This is the saint who takes care of trans people and sex workers. Uh, wow. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's an important space of remembering that the church is the people and not not the magisterium. Uh, and I think we can expand that to think about religion as like religion is the people that are doing the religion and not just what's top down from the institutions or what's mm. uh, being constrained by other institutional forces that don't make a whole lot of space for non-white, non-Christian ways of being in the world. Yeah. Well, I and I also think about... You know, I talk about different power struggles, you know, in different classes of mine. And Mm -hmm. one of them I always say is like, you know, no one wants to sit next to the devil. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like if if you've been labeled the devil, no one wants to sit next to you. Right. I mean, yeah. I I mean, I hear he's good looking. Yeah. Right. Right. And you get maybe get a couple of stragglers. But overall, (laughs) it's like it's like you say somebody is this, you know, this, this horrible, horrible person. Mm. Um, so I, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out like, you know, during the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, I felt like the devil was such an easy target to say like, Oh my gosh, these kids are being influenced by, um, Satan and the, the gays who yes. are on the same team. Yes. Right. And, and yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I, I, I just, I, I want to kind of just bring that out a little bit. I mean, it just kind of some of the BS that was surrounding that and just how, like some of the momentous events that came up, you know, during that era that kind of still linger today. And I definitely want to talk about Q, QAnon. Cause that, mm. that shit is, I, I haven't had any direct student. Yes. Well, I haven't had any direct students say um, that's what I believe in, but they've said enough to be like, okay, all right. I'm pretty sure (laughs) this is where this is going to end up going. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Does that make sense? I know that was a lot. It does. does. Okay. So let's, let's back up. So if we're thinking about the way that like evil or Satan becomes a compelling explanatory framework, not just for folks of a specific like religious bent, but broadly, um, 
because again, you <laughs> you actually might not know this, but this is this is one of my favorite uh, satanic panic moments. So uh, I believe 1987 was the 2020 episode where we talk about uh, Satan's underground and basically getting folks very worked up mm-hmm. about uh, satanic ritual abuse and backmasking in music and uh, Dungeons and Dragons and all, all the standard things. So that that happens. And because TV works the way that it does in the 80s, something like a fourth or a fifth of people who were watching television that night were watching this program. So it's hugely mm. influential. Yeah. And the producer is also sending out scripts here, there, and everywhere to get people to pay attention to this. But one of the people who gets one of these scripts is Jesse motherfucking Helms, may he rot, <laughs> who brings the entire script from this episode and enters it into the congressional record as part of a a motion to ensure that the U.S. Senate does not provide tax cuts for people who work for Satan or the forces of darkness, which like, if you know anything about Jesse Helms is potentially not surprising. The piece that surprised me was that the entire Senate, the entire U.S. Senate, arguably the most powerful legislative body on the planet, unanimously voted for this motion. The U.S. Senate in the mid-1980s said, yeah, Satan is real and we will not give him tax cuts. What? What? Do I think the entire Senate believes in Satan as a material actor on this world? No, I do not. I do find it interesting that it seemed politically inadvisable to ask, uh, we don't really think Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, do we? Everyone just voted for it. So that's that's interesting to me. I, <laughs> I, I wonder about these moments where it seems politically inadvisable to say, well, that can't possibly really be happening, right? Mm-hmm. There can't really be a child sex trafficking ring in the basement of this cosmic boing boing pizza place right. that, by the way, doesn't have a basement. <laughs> it's kind of like Pee Wee Herman in the Alamo. Where's the basement? Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> The spaces where people say untrue things Mm -hmm. and to achieve horrible unjust results is is a thing I think about a lot. And I'm thinking particularly of this week, we had mentioned the AIDS crisis in the 80s and and sexual morality as Mm -hmm. a... a, it's it's an explosion point for for moral outrage, and I'm thinking I can't remember the name of the the politician this week who was saying, well, can you imagine if gay people and intravenous drug users were shunned the way that we're shunning uh, anti-vax people now? Mm. And I don't for a minute believe that he doesn't remember saying and doing horrible things to and about gay people in the 1980s. I don't believe for a minute that he has forgotten the way that. Uh, this country abandoned HIV AIDS patients in the 1980s. I think people say things and don't care if they are true, if it gets the right political results. And we're seeing this around COVID. We're seeing this around critical race theory. And I think it's one of the reasons that I want to push so hard against this belief framework, which is itself a, a white Protestant Christian way of thinking about religion is because we see so much media attention around, well, does he believe this or do people believe in Q? And I don't care. I want to think about the harm that they're doing by acting on it. Yeah. So, yeah. I love Um, that. Go ahead. No, I'm just... I think it's hard, particularly for undergrads at this time, to to think about what the 1980s was like. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So... 
to think about like the limited media landscape that was available. You know, you got albums because you went to a store and you bought that one album and it was really expensive and it was probably the only one you bought that month and you were taking a real risk. And so you're buying the things that your friends are buying because you kind of know that you like them. So suddenly there are hundreds and thousands of these, like, I don't know, kiss albums (laughs) or, God, who else were they? Oh, Motley Crue. Motley Crue. Motley Crue. Yes. Come on. So, so funny to me. Right. And like, if you read, as I have, The Dirt, and you hear about these folks being like, oh, we were shouting at the devil and things were moving around the room. Like, this was a really scary time. You're like, you are adult men with so much hairspray in your hair and very tight trousers. And (laughs) people were really scared of you. What a... What a curious time for gender and religion and popular culture and sex. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. I, I'm not going to front the first time I saw Poison in a video <laughs> until they turned around. I was like, wow, these are some beautiful women. And I was turning around. I was like, oh, wait, those are dudes. Nope. Uh, wow. And nothing against my trans community. It was just yeah. the hair, the makeup, the tight pants. And I'm it like. It's a very different mode of masculinity that that I think we had seen in popular culture in the U.S. until then. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about just the connection between LGBTQ fam and the devil? I mean, why does that keep coming up? Because it still comes up to to this very day. Oh, so, oh my goodness. Okay, well... um, (laughs) I know that's big. I know that's a lot. No, no, no. No, it is. And and the the demonization, both literal and figurative, of the LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, community uh, of which I am one uh, in the U.S. is is a lot and honestly was my probably earliest and biggest falling out with my like religious studies teachers in high school. That was that was mm. that was the time where I was started getting asked just to to not say anything in religion class because I was derailing. <laughs> Are you the serious? They, oh they yeah, told no, the you day that? where we. Yeah, well, the day that we covered here's wow. what Catholicism thinks about queer people. Yeah, uh, I. I fully derailed the class. And this is, in retrospect, this was a moment where if our diagnostic tools had been different, someone might have pointed out, like, this seems like a neurodivergent response to uh, a a situation. And can we maybe think, like, hey, Megan, are you autistic? But it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm in high school and my, my teacher is telling us like, okay, well, here's the official like Vatican response about queer people. And I hammered at this, this poor underpaid dude who I I don't know his life, but like could very well have been a a gay man himself. Um, I hammered at him for about 45 minutes. And then I finally got to the point where I was like, well, do you actually think this is, or is this what the church says? And he says, well, this is what the church says. And then in the the self-righteous way of a 17 year old was like, how dare you, sir, <laughs> stand in front of this room and tell people that gayness is wrong. If you don't even believe this yourself and right. Like he's just trying to get his paycheck, man. Like <laughs> anyway, but so, so if we're looking at the 1980s, I, and like bringing back to my book, I would want to pay particular attention to the way that these investigations in daycares specifically tar- targeted queer people and people of color and queer people of color. Um, mm. So folks who did, who got sentenced, who got longer sentences, who served more time. Uh, and again, we, we can't ever say this is absolutely what happened, but there were a number a statistically significant number of queer people who came under investigation and were charged with satanic ritual abuse. And I mean, these charges ruined live. The San Antonio three just got out 
had what, four years ago? And these were three Latina lesbians. Um, mm. And the, the case made against them definitely argued both for satanic uh, involvement and sexual impropriety. Uh, in a larger way, you're you're absolutely right. This demonic charge is, is still haunting LGBTQ folks. And yeah. I'm, I'm thinking particularly um, of folks who want to remain in their church families uh, and have to go through like exorcisms to do that. Oh my God, yes. Where... I mean, that's, it's so violent and so damaging and, and uh, to, to have truly your, your church family tell you that an important part of you is, is wrong and not just, not just wrong, but demonic and from the outside rather than who you are, um, is, it must be devastating. Um, and to, to watch to bring it back around to the true devil, which is capitalism, to watch the monetization of these exorcism practices, the yeah. the people who get paid to do this work, like not to throw this around lightly, but like the, that that's the real devil for me. No. The folks that, that make money on vilifying difference in this way. Yes. Well, and, and that, and that's another part of it. And that's, you know, I always tell my students, I'm like, you know, you, you know, cause I, you know, I teach in the communications department and, mm -hmm. you know, I like, you know, when, when you know this stuff and you've been trained to analyze this stuff, it drives me nuts when you see those techniques used in a bad way and people believe it and, mm -hmm. and people buy it hook, line and sinker and then turn around and do these horrible, horrible things. Um, it can be maddening to, you know, to the point of depression, which is just like, yeah. oh, my gosh, this is, you know, this is this is horrible. You think about exorcisms, you're thinking about, you know, the what is it? The the camps that they send, you know, gay people to, to you mm -hmm. know, I mean, the, the re-education re spaces. And we are still fighting in a number of states to to ban conversion therapy, there you which go. is technically a secular practice, but absolutely comes out of conservative Christian sexual values. Um, Laura Vance actually has some really compelling work around the way that uh, Seventh-day Adventists, as it happens, mm -hmm. and um, mainstream Mormons, LDS, doubled down on homophobia as they got closer to mainstream Christian identity. So at the, the founding, both uh, Seventh-day Adventists and LDS were not particularly concerned with regulating same-sex sexual desire, um, but as they became more acceptable to the mainstream, they became more publicly homophobic to the extent that mm. um, like uh, Brigham Young University was using shock therapy to discourage same-sex sex desire. Oh. Uh, well after the APA said that it wasn't effective. Oh. So, and this is, this is not over if you have been paying attention at all to what's going on at BYU right now. It has become an increasingly hostile environment for queer Mormons just in the last year, year and a half. Wow. Yeah, and it's see, really heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. I mean, and that's where I feel like the real evil is. <laughs> it's like, it's it, I, it's like folks had told me, oh, don't be around this. I remember 
during my PhD studies, I at, at one point my central research issue right was so huge mm-hmm. uh, that one of my methods courses dealt with. I was doing case studies on like what evangelism looked like in the LA area. Mm-hmm. I'm originally from LA, um, and I remember that it just so happened that Billy Graham was doing a I, tour in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what better place to go get gra- gather data? <laughs> let me pack it up and pack it in. Let me begin right. Well, <laughs> Well, you came to win. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. See, we can be friends already. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And I remember the first, not even five minutes into the introduction, some guy got up and talking about how he was sexually abused and he's a survivor and his abuser was this homosexual man. And I'm like, oh, oh, you can actually hear me on the recording go, oh, you know, and so. I, this this connection, right? And it's like, and again, growing up, folks were just like, I oh, was just an evil spirit that was coming out of that, or don't invite those spirits. And then you go and hang out with some of these folks, and you're like, wait, y'all ain't the evil ones. This is mm-hmm. this I was lied to. I was completely lied to. Um, tell me a little bit. Well, let me ask this first before I ask that. Let me ask this because I know. I'm sure some of my listeners are wondering, but how does Dr. Megan, how do they (laughs) describe the devil? Like, so how do you look at and engage with, right, the supernatural? Do you see evil? Do you see, obviously you talked about capitalism being the devil and and I I see it every time, like all the time, everywhere. It's it's surrounded by the evil that is capitalism. Um, No, so... uh, The funny, not funny thing about evil or Satan and the satanic panic is that the goals of Satan seem really unclear. There is supposedly this global conspiracy to to defile and steal American children, usually nice white middle class American children. Well, this is like, again, I'm just going to keep bringing it back to, to the real devil, which is capitalism. But so under Reagan white moms had to work in numbers that they had never had to in the entirety of American history. Women of color obviously have always had to work in what's now the United States. But under Reaganomics, the just dad working model didn't didn't work in that economy anymore. So you've got white moms working out of the house for the first time in numbers in American history, which means daycares start flourishing. And the people who are running the daycares tend to be less wealthy, tend to be less white. And there's a lot of cultural anxiety about what happens when you let less white, less wealthy people care for nice white kids. So there's tension, there's guilt, there's suspicion. And then you have, I've argued, this consolidation of a particular kind of religious worldview that's proposing itself as national and as transcending religion that makes Satan a a, a logical, rational, explanatory framework. So suddenly it's Satan in the daycare working through women, often poor women, often women of color, caring for nice white kids. What defiling the kids gets them beyond like a phenomenal cosmic power question mark is truly unclear and is never really specified. Uh, we know that these small evils are connected to like global scale evils because we get 
people like Ronald Reagan telling us that, right? The fight between good and evil is also the fight between the US and the USSR. And what's fascinating to me is the way that it slips between, this rhetoric slips between personal sexual morality and national global defense. So this speech where he calls the USSR the evil empire for the first time is, it starts with with Ronald Reagan bemoaning that young women have too easy access to contraception. It is the space of national morality equals sexual morality and sexual morality equals a very specific kind of conservative Christian morality that we're using Catholic terms to talk about meaningfully for the first time in US history. It's really, really interesting and and disturbing. In terms of like the demonization of queer people more broadly, obviously that is that is nothing new. Um, and I am <laughs> gonna do an academic punt and just really suggest that folks take a look at Mark Jordan's work, particularly his book, Recruiting Young Love, and the way that uh, we express anxieties about sex and sexuality through like the vulnerability of children. And, like, and if I wanna bring it back to my own work, like. I find it really interesting that we keep wanting to find scapegoats for the prevalence and the persistence of, of child sexual abuse, where we want it to be the devil. We want it to be gays. And we don't want to look at the conditions that make child sex abuse possible. The lack of accountability, the family spaces where it's better not to talk about it than to address it. Um, I wrote a piece, gosh, two summers ago now for Sojourners called Abuse Happens Because We Let It. And that's that's my best explanation for both why abuse keeps happening because we let it keep happening because it's, it makes us uncomfortable to talk about and address. So rather than be uncomfortable, we let children suffer. Um, and, and also why we keep hearing about gays and Satan as perpetrators is because it is always easier to say the, the violence is coming from outside my house. It's coming from outside my community. I don't have any culpability here. There's nothing I could have done because who wants to think that who wants to think that they are culpable for a child suffering? <laughs> wow, that's deep. Well, and that's the truth, right? It's like there's, it's easier, right? It's like I always, you know, it when I when I first started, you know, teaching courses like on intercultural calm and race and all that stuff, it was like it was so easy for folks to see, you know, um, quote unquote, the evil in other countries. Like, oh, we did a mm -hmm. missions trip out to this and we, those poor kids were being trafficked and mm -hmm. oh, they were part of a child labor organization. And I'm sitting there thinking like, huh, mm -hmm. so what about the stuff that's happening just right up the street? And yeah. this was at the time I was living in LA. Absolutely. I was like, we got sweatshops, literally yep. not even five miles from the school that we're yep. sitting so comfortably in with their sweatshops mm -hmm. where kids are is a world. Oh, why? Well, I, I, you know, it's just, and everybody's all of a sudden got quiet. It's like, mm -hmm. it's easy to see these things, especially on short-term mission trips, which I've yeah. read, have written vehemently on mm -hmm. in, in, in against, you know, so, these things. so much going on there, <laughs> you know, that people show oh. up to these places and it's easy to go for a couple of weeks or even a month and be like, Oh, sure, you bad people. And, it's well, it's it's a nice vacation where you get to feel like a nice person and then the problem is fixed, right? Like you were there for two weeks and and you took some pictures with some poor kids, so it's fine. Right. Exactly. Um well I love this. I mean, this is this is the type of conversation that uh, on this show that I think 
um, really begins to help and open folks' eyes and and begin to see things in a different light, especially as it pertains to devils and and and, and whatnot. Um, one of the shows that I you know had the 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 honor or whatever you want to call it, never got an IMDb credit for it uh, to to help just give some advice on and mm-hmm. you know some insight on was Supernatural. Um, And uh, this was right around season four, season five, as they were beginning to introduce kind of the God character, you Mm -hmm. know, up until then they had really just dealt with, you know, evil and demons and devils and, you know, and and Dracula and whatnot. I always tell people like, I'm not a big horror person. Like I like smart horror and, but Supernatural deals with every kind of horror movie Mm -hmm. out there, but in a, in a very accessible way for those of us Mm -hmm. who are still kind of squeamish to, to certain yeah, aspects. I'm a, I'm a huge horror fan. <laughs> I need to get more into it. And I have uh, a good colleague of mine, a good friend of mine, J.R. Forsteros. He loves horror. And he's like, you just got, I'm like, I know, I know, I know. Well, I will say, so I'm in the middle of a new pod. Well, it's not new, but it's new to me uh, called Random gen- uh, Random Number Generator Horror Podcast Number 9. And it's the a couple of the dudes who do the Welcome to Night Vale podcast. Mm. And the idea is... Uh, Basically, one of them is a huge horror fan and he's trying to get his other friend into horror, but he's really squeamish. So there's conversations about the films uh, and they rate them in terms of like, if you're horror squeamish, how approachable is this and why is it worth your time? So I've really been enjoying it. OK, I'm going to check that out. That's that's good. Um, well, I mean, and see it. And so. So, yeah. So one of the things that we, we talked about was just it was like, how do we introduce good how do we introduce you know this figure and you know i kind of like the way you know they went with that you know it was like 15 of us in a room and stuff so it wasn't mm-hmm. like oh cool. dr hodge tell us what you think <laughs> it's like well it ought to be yeah I mean, exactly 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 but yeah so so in in all of this scheme of things tell me a little bit about how you you know engage with the supernatural phenomena the paranormal the you know like you said you love horror like um <laughs> I, and, and i'll confess i'll be i'll be the first to put my stuff out there it's like a lot of my fear around uh, horror still deals with my my roots in in in, in you know white evangelicalism, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the sense that you invite these spirits into your home, um, you know, it's like everybody. You know, I was told everybody on the set of The Exorcist they had problems. Nobody was the same after that, and you know, and it scares the shit out of you, right? It's like, oh my god, like I'm not watching that movie. Another influential Catholic film, very post Vatican II, where the the moral of the story is <laughs> women shouldn't talk to spirits because they don't have the right kind of religious authority. And right. ancient rites are actually very important. And how dare you try to change anything? Frankly. <laughs> That's that's deep. That is a great. That's probably the best summary of that movie I have ever read or heard. I teach that one, oh. but no. So I, I I I hear you. I mean, I I'm currently obsessed with the new Candyman. Um, Nia DaCosta's oh, yeah, yeah yeah retelling uh, with Jordan Peele, obviously. And I think one of the things that makes it so smart. I mean, it's just a beautiful, brilliant film across the board, but one of the things that makes it so smart is it actually attending to race in a way that the original Candyman did not. Um, so you have the, the um, one of the main characters, the, the woman who is the uh, art gallery uh, facilitator um, saying like, Black people don't need to summon this shit. And the, the, the mom like refusing to let the Candyman's name be spoken out loud. Um, and then watching the way that the film navigates real life violence 
and makes really smart choices about who gets shown as a, a victim of the like slasher violence. So if you watch carefully, all of the 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 violence against black people in that film is stylized. It's done in shadow puppets or it's implied. Um, whereas the folks that really get the slasher treatment are very frankly unsympathetic and well-played white characters mm. who are horrible and get slashed to pieces. Um, and it's set against this like very real violence of gentrification and police brutality in Chicago, where the the myth of Candyman gets presented, to my mind, in really interesting, like religiously ritual ways as not something to terrorize the neighborhood, but to protect vulnerable communities. Um, it's just, it's so, so smart. Uh, it, it is a little slashery, but if you can stand up to that, like... Highly, highly I need to get to that. I did see the original, so I do need to get to that one. Yes. Well, I mean, the original, honestly, is is a super smart film as well, but in unexpected ways. Like, mm -hmm. did you make the story of a, a like vulnerable black neighborhood about a white anthropologist? Yeah, you sure did. But whoever is making the film has also studied horror in ways that come through really clearly. So like a lot of the, the shots of Candyman himself are done in these like very stylized classic vampire film ways um it just it is a better film than it has any right to be but the the nia da costa jordan peele just brilliant 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 well and this is oh man there's so much here i think this is uh, such an important conversation at this particular time Real briefly, I know our time is nigh, but hit on mm -hmm. QAnon. Like, how has this become such a phenomenon that folks would actually stand in public and say that Trump's going back into office in August yeah. and the election was stolen? Q is rounding up the forces. And I mean, you know, to the point that folks are willing to take armed violence, yeah. right, uh, to the next level. So talk, give, share a little bit of some yeah. highlights on this. Well, so all of that rhetoric around my political enemies are actually working with the devil is just straight up satanic panic. Like that just, just never went away. <laughs> uh, but the spaces that have been most interesting to me, honestly, are the spaces of recruitment around folks you wouldn't expect to, I don't know, be part of armed uprisings. Like I, I absolutely expect that of angry white men. Uh, it is possibly a personal failing of mine that I did not imagine quite so many white women involved in that. That's, that's on me. Um, but uh, I've been really interested in the reporting of folks like uh, Melissa Gira Grant, who are looking at women, usually again, nice white suburban Christian moms who get wrapped up in this, his, I don't want to say hysterical because that's gendered, but this, uh, frankly, ill-researched and, and misrepresented panic around sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. uh, so they get involved on Facebook pages like Operation Underground Railroad, uh, where they're trying to combat sex trafficking, which, again, is not the primary form of trafficking. And uh, activism led by groups like this have, has actually contributed to creating a more of a global market for trafficked children. So they're doing damage rather than fixing a problem that exists. Um, but they'll get involved in these like Operation Underground Railroad moments, not knowing that they're attached to QAnon, show up at rallies, and then you know, they they start at Save the Children and end with Where We Go One, We Go All, uh, which mm. is a QAnon chant. So folks getting involved in these movements that uh, wouldn't even necessarily think of themselves as like involved in politics. Um, the, the other space that's been really interesting too, though, is the, 
I'm trying to think of how to say this right, but it it is a movement. It is a moment that really prides itself on being research-based, yeah. but also has designated itself as like the arbiters of credible information in ways that don't map on to how we think of credible information being verifiable in other spaces. So I don't, I, I find it really challenging. Um, but this, this, the space that I've spent most time kind of thinking in and around are the, the rhetorics of like, oh, my dad's been brainwashed. My, you know, my 16 year old son has been brainwashed, whatever, whatever. And this is why they're involved in QAnon. And as somebody who studies quote unquote cults, like this language I find very disturbing because it's it's another attempt to put responsibility and agency outside the actor, right? Like your dad is an adult man who's choosing to consume OAN, right? Like nobody made him turn that television on. Nobody <laughs> made him sit for hours and listen to that. So where is the culpability? Where is the accountability for the choices that these folks are making in the media that they're consuming and then choosing to act upon in these really violent ways? Mm. That's and yeah, there and there's so much there, right? I mean, because it's 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 a it's a a form, right? Of where, like you said, like when you people think, oh, I'm doing the right thing. Like, of course, we want to stand up against you know sex traffickers and kids yeah. that are being sacrificed to the devil. Yeah. Um, and I would just like to come out boldly on your podcast and say, I too am against sacrificing children to the devil. <laughs> There we go. Don't do that. There we go. Right, 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 right. I and I would affirm that. Um, <laughs> Good. See, we can't be friends. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm just not of the mindset that every liberal is is a devil worshiping socialist. No, um, I mean, like, who has time? Right. Right. <laughs> In this economy. Oh my! Question? Exactly. Oh my gosh! We're a piece of bread is about to be nine dollars. Mm. Um. Wow, Doctor. It, I don't even know what to say. This has been amazing, <laughs> enlightening. I love this. I feel like I was in an AAR session hearing one of your uh, papers and research. Um, I didn't even get a chance to touch on your book, Abusing Religion, um, that's out. This is with Rutgers, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Rutgers came out in 2020. Yeah. And you got we another one I coming. Mean well, I mean, it's it's in very early stages, but yes, the next project is tentatively entitled Cults Inc., Cults Incorporated. Okay. And I want to think about basically who benefits from this division of like real religion looks like this, cults equals Whew. that. Whew. I mean, and Q is definitely part of that because there was a lot of fundraising on both sides of the aisle around this idea, the both pro and con. Um, but I'm also thinking of things like... Uh, the commodification of murdered black children's bodies in the move bombing. Um, I don't know if you were following this. I'm not sure how much it trickled outside Philadelphia, but um, so the move bombing happens in 1985. This is uh, Philadelphia police department blew up a city block trying to extricate a new religious movement. Um, several children died and apparently a pen professor availed himself of these children's bodies and were using their remains in classes for Penn and then Princeton acquired wow. them briefly and used them in a Coursera course. So this is literally the Academy commodifying wow. murdered black children's bodies. And they're able to do it because this group was qualified as a cult that they were not to be taken seriously, that they were not to be treated as humans. Um, wow. so Judith Weisenfeld and a number of other scholars have called for reparations for their family, but it is, yeah, it's, it's haunting and horrifying. And to me really, invokes the similar violence is done to 
the the black members of, of People's Temple at Jonestown, where it's mm. it's not just that so many so many black people, so many black women died in that massacre, but then their memories have been turned into a punchline. Yes. We get this like drinking the Kool-Aid thing and people use it like like it's funny or like it's comparable to folks refusing to take a vaccine. That's a lot of what I've been seeing lately is this Jonestown America, Trump is Jim Jones that trended on Twitter a number of times in the last uh, year or so where <sighs> you you want the narrative to be people are brainwashed, people will believe anything and the real story of Jonestown uh, is you know, again, it's a it is a plurality of black membership, and so very many black women and their children died, coerced to hurt themselves, uh, and that's not the story that we remember. Hmm. And it's not there is there is real anger and resentment into talking about this as a moment of white supremacist violence, as opposed to like, haha, people who join cults are stupid. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, oh my gosh. There's so much with that, that right there. I have actually, oh, I'm sorry. I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't shout out the work of Sakivu Hutchinson around the black women of Jonestown. Okay. Specifically. She, she did some really important reporting around that. I need to check that out because this is something yeah. that I've had just from a personal, I've had family members who attended the church in, in, in Northern California. Now they got mm -hmm. out before, um, uh, you know, before this stuff went, you know, all the way down Thank there. Goodness. But it's a really compelling worldview. Like it was an important yes. community trying yes. to do real important yes. work. Yes. And, and white supremacy killed that. Yes. All of that. And that's, and that's where I think, and that's what I've tried to tell folks. Cause I still remember, I mean, I'm old enough to remember that stuff showing up on television. I remember seeing it mm -hmm. on ABC news. Uh, and it and happened actually during the meeting of the American Academy of religion in 1978. It happened that weekend. Did it really? I did not know that it did. And Jay-Z Smith's response was that if we can't make sense of this, that we have forfeited our right to the Academy. So it's interesting to be 40 years later, 43 years later, but who's counting? Uh, and to have the the study of cults and new religious movements and religious alterity still be uh, so marginalized. Yes, absolutely. Um, wow. See, I could talk with you for days. I don't want to keep you. I know your time is valuable, but folks, this is Dr. Megan Goodwin. You got to go check her out in the works that she's doing. I got to I got to get this book. I just got to get you back on because we've covered so much. Yeah. We haven't even touched on this. And <laughs> I think what you're talking about here, I need to check that that uh, scholar out you told me about with Jonestown and, and black bodies. Sikibu Hutchinson. She also wrote a novel, I believe, called uh, White Knight's Black Paradise. OK, like OK. No, this is beautiful. This is beautiful because this is something that I, you know, has been in the back of my mind again from just a personal perspective and having so many folks of color that mm -hmm. were involved in that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. It's, um, a, it's a radical anti-racist movement that was toppled by white supremacist leadership, and it is heartbreaking. And yes. the fact that those women's jokes have, those women's deaths have become a punchline, just makes me very, very angry. No, that's so. good. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I appreciate that. No, I appreciate that. Uh, where can folks find you? They, you know, they want to bring you out and you get you that honorarium, you know, get you, what does Clinton get? I think $100,000 for about 50 minutes. Well, 
I, I graciously accept. Uh, <laughs> You're right. So I, do have a web, I do have a website. It's megan-goodwin.com. But the, honestly, the answer to where, pe- where people can find me is Twitter. It's always Twitter. It's always Twitter, <laughs> it's, right? It's pretty much. So it's MPGPHD. And yes, far too often. Twitter is too much with me. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. No, I know what you mean. I have been banned on Twitter. That's a, a oh, long no. story. Um, I want to hear that story. Oh, my gosh. Uh, all right. Real quick. I gave you the Cliff Notes version. Okay. I was June of 2020. Mm. Lecrae, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's you know Christian hip hop artist. He had went on. I'm forgetting the guy's name. He went to his church, and the guy was a white guy, and they were talking about race. And the guy mm. was just like, "Well, I don't think we should call it white supremacy or white privilege. Let's call it a white blessing." And and you know, because oh, no. oh, right, right. And he didn't say anything. He just kind of just sat there. So a lot of us called him out. And so my good friend Dr. Shanika Walker Barnes put this amazing thread together. Mm. Um, and at the end, she was like, "You know, tell him to read my book. You know, this is you know uh, calling mm-hmm. out Lecrae." At the end of that, I just commented. I said, amen. Thank you. And tell that Negro. I said, Negro. I didn't say anything else to also read my book. And I put a link to one of my books there. And that got cited for uh, hate speech. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. And, wow, uh, that is the selective enforcement of hate speech. Exactly. Well, what wow. happened was his followers just kind of just tag teamed yeah. and went in on people and reported it. Um, I filed two petitions. Both of them were like, nope, you that's hate speech and you can delete it and admit your guilt um, mm. or your accounts just closed. And I was like, well, you know what? Fuck y'all. So yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and my well, students, yeah, you know, I've talked about it on the show. I'm sure people are tired of hearing it, but I, it's it's it it's helped me get to a different spot. And it's helped me kind of thrust me into the research I'm doing now and looking at online communities and just mm-hmm. personalities and celebrities and whatnot. But anyways, it's yeah, I do have a profane faith account. I will tag you in this and. Yes, um, yes. thank you so much for taking time and, and sharing your your knowledge and wisdom. I'm so delighted to have been asked and I'm truly happy to come back anytime. (laughs)